Good day, everyone. You're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 162, Four Moves and You're Done. I'm your host, Alex, and today I have the honor to have Carlo as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? Great. Good to see you. Good to see you with our voices. Yes, it's audio-visual in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Carlo's calling from the States, and he's saying it's just as hot there as it is here, so it's just hot everywhere. I'm barely wearing any clothes. You did not need to do that. Wear, know that. So I'm just wearing a t-shirt and shorts. That's wearing some clothes. Anyways, it's not about my fashion style. It's all about Carlo today. Uh, so before we jump into the topic of being a chest enthusiast, I'm going to ask the horrible question that you might dread or maybe you'll love, but who is Carlo? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Carlo is a really happy person and who's been surrounded by a ton of love his whole life and is really grateful for it. And spends a lot of his time trying to give back to the world that has given him so much. So you just started that whole podcast right there with me with the giant stupid smile. Like, oh man, why you gotta be so kind-hearted? <laughs> that's, <laughs> <all right. laughs> well, that's wonderful. I'm glad it's going off at a great start saying we're talking to somebody who's very caring and hopefully patient with Alex. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but yes, to learn more about Carlo, do you have any social media links, websites, or projects you're working on? Or maybe even, I don't know, a podcast that you would love to share with the listeners? Yeah, Alex, I, I, I did just get back onto Twitter um, and I do have a podcast called Make America Better Now, focused on creating a daily manifesto at the intersection of democracy and capitalism in a new way. And it's a really fun project. And you can find me on Twitter at Koala Monet. Ooh, I like that name. <laughs> I like Thank that. You. So that's perfect. I'll put that link down below so people can go check it out, your Twitter, your podcast. So it'll be very easy to find and people can come follow your journey. And now we're going to jump right into the topic of being a chess enthusiast. Now, how would you define a chess enthusiast compared to just a casual chess player? Ah, uh, yes. A chess enthusiast is someone who throughout their day is, is making decisions with just chess, chess in mind, uh, chess strategy and tactics, seeing the world like it. I happen to have like chess body art on my body, right? Like I have a tattoo of some chess. Those people clearly are chess enthusiasts. Um, but people who also, like me, uh, can travel to other countries and cities and be able to make new friends by playing chess in the park, even though we might not know the same language. So that, to me, is like one of the, the best definitions of a chess enthusiast, someone that you can find out at the park um, that you might be able to meet and play with. It's interesting you say that because for our honeymoon, at one point, we played chess. We played chess ah. in Mexico. We're just, it's like, you know what? Yeah, I've I, done that too. <laughs> I taught my wife how to play chess. So it was kind of cool. Like, oh, now we know. And she does not like when I win. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, uh, you can only really learn if, if you don't win. And so that's the other beauty about chess too. Now you're talking about how much you love chess. This question just popped up in my head. Do you have a favorite piece? The one that just speaks to you saying like, it, may not, it might not be important in other people's eyes, but this piece speaks a lot to me. Ah, uh, yeah. I, well, I'll say it like this. I think, I think there's those that would say that they love the queen, uh, which is uh, for people who know and might even casually know the queen's the most powerful piece on the board in terms of the range of attack it has. Um, and then there are others who might definitely say, oh it's, oh, it's the king, because ultimately you have to checkmate and the king's sort of the most important piece. And so you're like, well, it's the goal, so choose the king. For me, and you know, you heard me talk about who I am, who Carlo is. For me, it's the pawn because the pawn is the pawn has to take a journey where it can never go backwards. And if for some reason it's able to make it to the end, it can transform into something else. 
And um, I think that that for me is 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 my favorite piece. And, and there are eight of them, uh, you know, on each side. So um, you got you got a bunch of them to love. And you mentioned the pawn transforms into something else. If I remember correctly, I know it can transform into the queen, but it can transform into other pieces, correct? If so, is there a piece that you like to transform it? You wouldn't transform it into another pawn going in the opposite direction. I would imagine. Correct. correct. <laughs> is there a piece that you like to transform it in more often than others? Yeah, I think naturally having the transforming it into a queen is nice, but I think uh, for for the chess enthusiasts, some of the like the sexiest ways to transform it are to finish off with putting a knight or a horse there, a piece that is able to take some squares away that are that could be unexpected, and um, to put it in a, also on a place on the board that is usually seen as weak, which is the outer edge of the board for for the knight. So it's a place where you know you transformed it. It's usually weak on that supposed to be weak on that side of the board. Um, but in that moment when it transforms, it can do something beautiful and, uh, and it's not a queen and it can be, and it can be some, someone else with a specialty. The horse whisperer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And now we kind of jumped the gun a little bit. So let's wind back or rewind for you. How did you actually get introduced to chess? I still don't know when the first moment was because I feel all my life I've played chess. And so my father taught me chess and and I had a number of relatives in my family who also played chess. And so ever since I was a young child, I would remember with my brother who was two years old, two years younger than me, we'd be in the kitchen with my father. He'd be making dinner um, at the end of the day and uh, we'd be playing chess together and he would just be, uh, you know, we were children, so we weren't too stiff competition. He's a pretty strong player. So he would play um, what we call like blindfold chess, where he would just call out the moves and we would all play. But we'd be sitting at the table and he'd be, you know, over at the kitchen stove and we'd play for a while um, like that. And then, of course, we'd play face to face. And that was a lot of my memories uh, of growing up, spending time with my family and even my mom being there, um, watching, engaging and teaching my mom some tricks to try to surprise my dad and fun stuff like that. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a family thing. It sounds like it was a very competitive yet very caring kind of gameplay with your family. And this is an odd question, but has it ever happened to you? Let's say your dad would win because he was really good at the beginning, but there's a turning point where you started beating your dad, but your dad didn't want to admit that he lost. And he said, oh, well, I let you win kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that happens a lot with, uh, within families, right? That happens a lot. And, and now I'm a, I'm a stronger player. Just part of it is being an adult. Um, and just spend a little bit more time with the game, even though I'm not a uh, professional chess player, which there are, um, you know, I'm an, I'm an amateur player, right? But my father, he he just like cared so much about the game and it, it just translated a lot to me in the way that, that I lead life. That's awesome. I love how you just took your hobby and made it part of your life. You probably, I'm not saying you walk down the street and you see everybody as a pawn, a knight, uh, <laughs> a bishop. You just, you, see, you actually see humans, but it's kind of cool to the idea that, you know what, this taught you so many things and it taught you to be very strategic and even bring it into your field of work, which yeah. is awesome. Do you still actually own the first chessboard or book that you've ever had? Yeah. You know, I do still have uh, a number of old books. My my parents keep it at their house. There's some books and I have some books here too, like little chess tactics books. Um, people might be familiar. They're basically puzzle books, but for chess people. And so, you know, you have a number of puzzles on the page and you could either solve them in your mind or you could pull out your chess board and solve them or do a combination of both. And uh, that was a, a way I started to learn 
learn the game of chess, if you will, in the same way that you might practice doing right-handed layups and left-handed layups in basketball. And I also imagine these chess boards come in so many different types of variations, styles, and design. So this is like a two-part question. The first part is, what is your favorite chess board you have ever seen? And if you had the chance to design a chess board from scratch, from the board itself to the pieces, what would you make? Yeah. You know, my favorite, uh, my favorite chess board also comes with, with the, the scene. I was in Montreal and it was near, um, I guess, McGill University, near the university there. But there's some park and there's, a, there's some outdoor chess, like large chess sets. And for me, large chess sets are my favorite. They're, they just sort of change the perspective of things. You're so used to these small pieces that you dominate or that now are the pixelated things on your screen. Um, but now you get to interact with them and it, I think it just, it changes it a little bit and makes it more fun. And in terms of what I'd like to design, I think I would probably try to do a mashup of, of things that, that I care about, maybe some sports teams. I really like, um, European football, even though they kind of have clashed, uh, I'm, and I'm an American, so I can do these things, right? I'm not like <laughs> born and bred European, so I can like choose my teams for all the listeners out there. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm a Liverpool and Barcelona fan, so maybe design it around something like like uh, Barcelona and against Real Madrid kind of thing and having it be a soccer field chess set, um, kind of like matching that up would be kind of my mashup that I would that I would really be into. And you would never play the pieces of Real Madrid. <laughs> no, no, never, ever, ever. <laughs> and you were talking about the bigger size uh, chess piece. For that, I yeah. would imagine like when you play with a normal size chess piece, you could see the board from above and you see the whole field. When you play with the bigger pieces, do you find it more challenging? Like you have to walk around more just to get a different perspective? I think it's, uh, you know, for for a player like myself, uh, it's still, in terms of the perspective, it's really about the, the fun of it, I think. And uh, making it more come to life because I am so used to playing the game on a regular basis um, that that for me it's really that it's just it's it's almost like being a kid again um, brings back some excitement and some newness to the game um, that you just can't get playing online or, or over the standard board. Speaking of which, perfect segue. It's almost as if you knew the questions beforehand. What? <laughs> uh, no, so yeah, you're talking about playing online. Nowadays, if you're traveling, it's a lot easier to play online. But do you, I, it sounds stupid saying this, of course you prefer playing it in person, but do you also enjoy playing it online or not so much? I, I, I love playing chess. So any way I can get it, I'm going to do it. And uh, online's definitely, definitely uh, been a big a big way to embrace chess and I think also spread chess, hopefully to, to new people. I haven't seen, uh, I have like a background as like a research and economist and data person. So I haven't, I don't know what the data sets and the polling says about, you know, the expansion of chess players in the world. So I don't know that exactly. Um, but I do think that the ability to play with people all across the world is really, is really made it a lot easier before you'd have to go to a local chess club that, that does cost money, by the way, you know, sometimes it's the hundreds of dollars, it's not in addition to maybe doing other things at the club, like playing in tournaments, which also cost money. And it's not always easy to find people in person that you can play with who are at your level or above you, which is kind of what you need to improve, right? Um, you always want to find someone better than you. But as you get better, just like in many other things, the air is more rarefied and there's fewer people. And so the, the way to find them is really online. Um, and uh, I first started out playing on the Internet Chess Club, which is like old school, I feel like, where all the grandmasters and professional pros would also play. And, you know, you pay a subscription. And then 
Um, then free services would come out. There was like Yahoo for a while and, and now chess.com, I think, which has done a really great job in just expanding the game to, to everyday people and, and trying to break it down, I think has been really powerful. That all said, I do want to say, as I was, as I was, uh, as I think about chess, I'm also cautious not to get too much playing time online because it can be a very addictive game and it's very difficult to sleep because it's a game that is like make, you know, running your processor like at max and then you're trying to turn, turn your brain off to go to sleep and it's very difficult. So I've learned from like college days and, and, and younger days that one has to be really careful playing too much online chess because it can really interfere with a lot of your daily habits. I guess like with any hobby that you might overdo, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah, like, like podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking on the same topic of being online, have you – I remember back in the days if you play against a computer on extremely hard or really hard or whatever the hardest level is, sometimes it's not that hard or sometimes it's super hard. For you, have you ever found a computer level that is impossible to beat? Yeah, for sure. There are there are, are paid. I feel like there are paid software programs out there that that I remember being pretty difficult. I think one of them, you know, in the floppy disk days, might have been called like Grandmaster or something like that. Just straight up the title of an actual chess grandmaster. But usually, I can play up to yeah the the very hard level pretty close and either draw or win or at least not at least be able to compete. Um, although if you're using like for example more powerful software than it is than I think it for, for, for me, unless I, I'm not a grandmaster, it is impossible. It is impossible. But I, that's not the software that I, um, I feel like I, I, I might harm my health if I get that software, I get a little bit too into the hobby. <laughs> you know what? Go at your own pace. It's chess. It's not, a, it's, it's not a, it's not a race or unless you're timed then it's a race, but you know what? It's a game online. Take your time unless it's timed. I'm, I'm going back and forth on what I'm saying. Either way, back to you. How would you actually define your playing style? Are you more of an offensive player, a defensive player, or the master of illusion and, and bait? Ah, uh, yeah. You know, for me, I like to add variety because I do play a lot. So I'll go through phases where um, I'll spend a lot of time trying out attacking. Um, I'll have an attacking mindset. Other times I'll I'll do the opposite, right? But then there are the grooves uh, that you know you try to just be a really strong player and you try to win a lot. And in those ways, it's almost always a very balanced and very cautious approach um, because it's uh, it's not easy to win in chess, but it but it is easy to make a blunder and lose. And so you can always sort of keep a quality if you don't try to overreach too much. That does mean you don't take a lot of risk. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you start to watch, you know, you, you start to watch your risk a little bit um, when you really try to get competitive. Actually, speaking about which, you know, in the idea where once you do something bad, it's Murphy's Law, it just keeps going bad. Does that happen to you or are you able to like snap back and get out of that mindset that, oh, no, I messed up this time. I just I'm just going to keep messing up. Yeah, great question. I think. I think what's great about chess is that it gives you that instant feedback without, you know, punching in the face or harming you in any other way. And so you're able to really get immediate feedback on decision making. And it's a really powerful thing. I think it's really helped train my brain to be able to handle a lot of decision fatigue, for example, and be really patient in receiving information. And for you, what would you say was the most interesting slash memorable game you've ever had? Uh, yeah, so there, there's a couple here, and and one of them I mentioned, and I guess in my top three was you know playing playing there in Montreal, beautiful game, um, kind of gray skies that day, but had so much fun. Was playing with a with a uh, with an elder, um, someone who's probably like over sixty, 
and a player not as strong as I. And usually in those situations, especially just playing casually, if another player makes a blunder, in other words, they make a move that's just so obviously bad for them, like they're about to just like hand you over a piece for free, like a queen or a rook, something important, or walk themselves into checkmate. Usually you like stop them and you're like, no, don't do that. And then you, know, you, you let them do another move, especially when you're early in the game, like say 10, 15 moves in and you're still in the early stages of the game because you want to play a game still. You don't want to just end it. So we did a little bit of that. And, and I didn't mind that at all, of course, right? Because chess is not a, it's not always about winning. It's about engaging with another player and, and having fun um, and communicating um, on the board that way. And so that was one memorable game for me. Another was when I was, I was in this, was it the sixth grade? Um, so I can't remember how old that is exactly, maybe 12 or 13. Uh, I'm not sure if that's right. Nine, 10. I don't have kids, so I'm not really sure what the age is for sixth graders. 25, listeners. 25. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I was a sixth grader and, um, I was playing and I always played scholastic chess, meaning played sort of like with the school club and we'd play in tournaments with other schools and also individuals. And there was a state tournament. And in, in the, in the elementary school uh, range in the uh, kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, I was able to, to place in my state that year. And so in sixth grade, I was feeling pretty good. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to punch it up and I'm going to try to do better. And in chess tournaments, especially big ones are multi-day events. So they're, um, even for kids, they're, they're at least two days. Sometimes they might be three days, sometimes even four days. So they're, they're long. And and just so just so your listeners know, one of the things about it is um, you drain so much energy at the end of it. It's uh, it's incredible. You know, you're just like eating bananas because your brain is just went through so much sugar and carbs and it's just trying to drain so much stuff to to literally just process over and over and over. So you're super drained. All that stuff's going on. But um, it was I think the second day and I was having a great time and I was doing pretty well and I was playing against an opponent I knew. And usually when you play on some of the top boards in these tournaments, you see the same kids, just like in like professional sports, as people go up, they, they usually know the people they've been playing with the same people for 20 years. Um, and so they're just, you know, and they're just making more money now doing it. Uh, but we were kids then, right? So we're not making any money. We're having fun. We're wearing our t-shirts and our like mock turtlenecks. Cause I grew up in Illinois. So it was cold, um, where we have our tournaments. And I had just read in sort of like the chess magazine of things about um, tactics. And so what I wanted to do was use one of these tactics in one of the games I was playing. And unfortunately, that tactic led to like immediate demise in my game, like immediate <laughs> demise. And walking out, uh, the other player, I, oh gosh, I think, his, his, I think his name was Jonathan. Um, it was like a, like a you know, boy my height with like blonde hairs, like other good kid. And he's walking on his dad's like, how the game go? And he's like, yeah, he just like gave up his piece at one point. I don't know what happened. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, uh, but, you know, it's so I, I missed out on like top 10 that year, which, you know, that's how it is. And that's fine. But one of the things I think that helped me is that uh, I didn't end up like really becoming a super hardcore professional chess player, which I think like drove me to do the work that I do and probably saved me a lot of endless nights uh, in front of my computer screen, screen playing like chess every day. I'm sure when you did that move the first time, when I, Jonathan saw it, he's like, what is he doing? It must have like threw him <laughs> off for a good it solid. He's like, wait a second. Is this like a setup for like something else? And he like could not <laughs> read it. Like sometimes when I play chess, I'm like, I see that. I'm like, what are you doing? You're, you're leaving your queen exactly. open. Why? Why are you doing this? 
Exactly. Do I go for it? And then you just keep your hand on the piece. You want to move. You're like, uh, uh. that's right. Touch move. That's right. <laughs> the moment that's you right. let go, it's done. <laughs> so, you know, he was stymied for a second, but you know, usually right. The, one of the rules in chess is if there's a gambit with me, which means someone's going to offer you a piece or offer you, you know, a sacrifice for free, you take it and you say, prove it to me. So he's like, oh, I'm going to take it. And then I was like, yo, homie, I got nothing to back that up because like I really was just, you know, in theory over there and was not able to transport it to this very like, quote, high stakes game for us sixth graders. You know what's crazy? It's kind of cool because you just the way you describe chess, it's kind of like playing poker. You you kind of like uh, you bluff. But at the same time, it's kind of like a dance where you're saying that you communicate with the players and try to figure out that you don't have to try to beat them right away. You just dance around the board. So it's kind of like three hobbies. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, you know. Um, and there are like sort of those theories, right, where people are Vladimir Kramnik, who is who's a former world champion for one year. And I got to meet him like gratefully in Switzerland like two years ago. He's like a very tall person and he like hunched down to get in the selfie with me. Um, and I'm like average height, but still he like he's like six four probably. Um, but but he always approached chess with this concept of I don't care who the opponent across the uh, a board is logically i'm not scared of them because we still have to play it out on the board whereas other players will there is some intimidation factor on the board um that does happen um people just always imagine this person's just going to be able to like grind it out somehow in certain position and so you'll give up a little bit sooner so there is a little bit of that psychology that certainly plays into it especially because at the really highest levels of chess one player is supported by a team so they've got other grandmasters who are part of their squad and they help they help this lead grandmaster prepare for their competitions especially when it's at sort of one-on-one world champion level and so you have these teams battle together um all leading up to it i'm not gonna lie the moment you said oh well he doesn't care who he's in uh, like who's his opponent he doesn't care who's in front of him i just pictured in my head oh what if it's a four-year-old it's like don't care He's going down (laughs) (laughs) the four-year-old barely knows how to like the the pieces work it's like that's your that's your fault, man. You didn't take the time <laughs> to learn the game. You're focusing on walking. What happened? <laughs> and for you, you're talking about you used to read magazines to learn more about chess. Is there any other places that you prefer to gain more information, whether it's online or other chess players or books or magazines? Yeah, I still love, you know, I still have uh, some books here here in my house that I will pull down, whether it's on tactics or on openings or end games so I can follow along with certain games. Of course now being able to be online, you're able to access databases. You can also purchase software that just has databases of all these games. And that's sort of how people today are able to really study really efficiently. Whereas before, you spent a lot more time with theory and still trying to track games in real time. But now you can get access to to everything. So it's kind of amazing. I think another great way, uh, I love video chess lessons. I think they're so fun. And, uh, you know, the, the arrows that they show, if you've ever seen any of those, Alex, if you've seen a chess video tutorial or just of a game, they might show like arrows moving around where the pieces might be able to go. And, and for me, one of the things I tell beginner players is that at some point, those arrows, like those just happen in your mind. You don't have to like think about what the piece does. And, and from there, you just kind of sort of start leveling up in, in terms of your understanding and and things that were once complicated become like driving things that, you know, so simple that you just can do it and multitask, do other stuff. And I was just thinking, cause you're talking about learning. Have you ever actually taught anybody how to play chess? Yeah. Um, I've had a, had a, had an opportunity to casually teach friends and family, uh, lessons here and there. I like to focus on 
teaching the end first, kind of like in thinking about golf where probably want to start with learning how to putt first because who cares if you can get it on the green if it takes you 15 times to get in the little hole better to learn to get in the little hole first to teach people how to how to checkmate first and uh work the game back from there in addition to teaching them the basic moves but it's something i i really enjoy and um you know for adults a lot of the times they're they're uh, um they're fearful of it um they have anxiety around it they feel like it's going to take a lot of time and uh it's like they have to learn a new language so I think there's a little bit of that hesitancy, but I think it can still be broken down and then uh, translated into little bite-sized nuggets. And I think video lessons are a really, really great way to do that. This is an odd question, but have you ever tried playing different variation of chess? So let's say a three-way chessboard or a 3D chessboard or anything kind of like in that realm. Yeah, I've, I have tried like one or two times, like... Um, I think chess.com has some alternate, like, uh, I can't remember the branding of it, but they do. There's some kind of alternate thing where there's a shuffling of pieces. I have tried that out. For me, I still haven't mastered the original game. And so I'm like still, I'm still like plugging away at that. And when I want to play other games, I usually do something else. Uh, but yeah, but I have, and, and, and they're, and they're definitely interesting and they definitely, and they usually, I should say, add more, uh, randomization because chess is, is ultimately a fixed game. Now, hear me out. This might be a little absurd. Maybe you're on board with this or not. But would you ever be interested in seeing a chess game being played by AI and not just any AI? Let's say it's Alexa, uh, OK Google or C no, not my phone. <laughs> my phone just turned on or Siri <laughs> or anything like that. And if so, who do you think would win? Ah, interesting. <laughs> you know, um, well, okay. I mean, I, I would totally be down to see what would happen with that, of course. And I'd be curious to see how that AI would be able to pull from whatever, you know, it's already connected to or can grab and be able to figure things out. In my mind, whoever gets to, to whoever, whatever the coding is, there's a project called, I think it's called like Start From Zero or maybe it's Zero. But basically it's an AI gaming software company where it gives the, uh, they give the AI only the basic, basic rudimentary rules of the game, nothing else, no strategy, no additional tactics. And then the AI just figures out and masters it. And it's done that for chess. Um, and so, so I would love to see them play out because I kind of know, I already know where the eggs hidden. So I wonder if they know where the eggs hidden and can go grab that. And then I, I feel like whoever got that egg would be able to defeat the other, the other AI. So I'm not sure of, of the, you know, of, of Siri and, and so on and so forth, who would win? Probably not Alexa, is what I would, <laughs> I would say. I think Alexa would be slayed immediately, like in, in like the early round. First move. I'm sorry. I don't know First what to move. do. <laughs> Resign. Resign. That's what it does. The Alexa king just like, falls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for you, what would you say is the best part about being a chess enthusiast on a personal and an emotional level? Yeah, I think chess has given me um, a lot of fortitude and patience and ability to listen and sit quietly and understand that boredom is something to take advantage of. So ever since I was a kid, that's what I spent a lot of my time doing. I play a lot of chess. I, and I played outdoor sports too and um, spent a lot of time being social. But sometimes that social was being a competitive chess player, playing with friends. And it's something that I've been able to bring to my relationships, my work, um, my regular decision making at the grocery store. Um, it's really, you know, the, the ink on my arm. It's really become a large part of, of who I am and how I talk about things and the analogies I make. And you know what? Just in a park, I feel like they should have that everywhere because it's yeah, awesome. I agree. It is awesome. And, you know, I think 
there's a there's a lot of great programs also to get more young girls to play chess. And there's a number of female uh, well, actually they're 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 officially titled, I believe, as like women's grandmasters. So there's still like an issue in chess on gender there about uh, sort of like splitting things. But I think ultimately chess is a game that everyone can compete on the same level, young, old, doesn't matter who you are, how you self-identify. So I look forward to chess moving in that area um, and growing people like, you know, from all those backgrounds. But chess, chess provides a lot of great education and young development skills that I think especially people in our modern age are really going to need because of these abilities to be patient, um, I think is really one of them and like calm the mind and chess really, it helps you do that. Well, actually, interestingly enough, it's kind of a weird segue, but a dear friend of mine, he's been on my podcast twice. Uh, he's a patron as well. And he has a podcast of his own called Chess Talk Podcast. And oh, the way he cool. works his podcast is he talks about any topic, like specific topics like that, while playing chess with his guests. So if uh, you're interested, awesome. <laughs> I'll get you two in contact. And, and <laughs> I, you know, what? honestly, if, if both times I went on, I started off strong. I'm like, yes, I got this. But I got so interested in the topic of conversation that I completely forgotten about the chess game. But I feel like you would be focused and you're like, I, I can do both. You can multitask. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, your, uh, your friend there is running a chess blog, which our podcast, which I'm not doing. So that says something about our, our I think our skill level, but I mean, I'm happy to play. I love playing, you know, let's do it. So that was a challenge for me and odd segue. What was your biggest challenge for you when you first started playing chess? Yeah, I think for me, my first, I think it was how I would be able to continue to improve as a chess player because it wasn't really clear to me as a kid. And now as an adult, it's very clear how one does that in the sense of like getting chess coaches and doing all the enrichment programs that one could think of. But as a kid, I didn't understand, and this is no, no, not to fault my parents at all, but I didn't understand that there were all these enrichment programs that you can do in addition, um, just sort of like the basic stuff that was out there, um, you know, outside of your home, that is. Uh, you know, and I already had a, one huge enrichment program, was, which was my home. So, you know, I can't complain on that front. But there is, there is a path for, for people to become stronger professionals in any kind of you know, sport or game. And usually it just involves like a lot more enrichment around it. But looking back on it now, uh, no regrets about that. I'm happy. I'm happy where I am. And being a professional chess player used to be, uh, when I was a kid, I used to imagine that the, the driver's license plate of my car, when I would like turn 16, imagine myself as like an elementary school kid, a tiny desk, right? Um, that like, you know, you would, it was a wooden desk, right? Where you'd like lift up the top and you'd grab your stuff out of there, right? It was those days. And I've imagined myself, ah, it would be Grandmaster will be my, but still to this day, I think that's one of the most, uh, one, one of the, the coolest titles around is to call yourself a Grandmaster. And, and there's an official way to do it. You can do it in chess and they'll officially be like, you are a Grandmaster. I think it's just like the greatest title. You correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, actually I'm pro probably pretty wrong, but is it possible, let's say you're playing a chess game against a stranger or anything like that, and you're allowed to bring your own pieces? Oh yeah. Um, in the sense that, yeah, that, that happens pretty often, you know, even in a paid tournament where you can win prize money, you'll often bring your own, um, your own gear. So your own clock and pieces and things like that. And usually, um, the person, I feel like usually white is the one that puts out the pieces. And then, um, I think maybe also the clock, but usually there's some rules about who brings things at the professional level. Everything's very set up. It's like you walk into a banquet hall and things are just laid out for you, you know, including the water. 
but for 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 the rest of us yeah you bring your gear and there's been nothing wrong with it although the, you know these days with what's going on in the world you know maybe it's a little bit more challenging to bring pieces around but you know you can do it hear me out i don't know if you're interested in this but i feel like I'm, I'm stupid enough to do this. Would you be <laughs> interested in making some chess pieces and every piece is a different variation of your face? Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, why not? I mean, that'd be a wild, that'd be a wild, that'd be a wild thing to do. I think they would have to put it in like a museum and be like this weird abstract art from this period. We're not really sure. Commissioned by someone in Canada, like, you know, 2020. I can imagine like the pawns are like very aggressive, like they're attacking the bishop. Very serious, calm. <laughs> but it's all your face. <laughs> Sly look with the, yeah, the yeah. night, right? And, a, and a, maybe a grimace like on the rook because you're always the last to get out. You're like, yeah. man, I got to wait here the whole time. It's like everyone gets Arms to go crossed. play first. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I would love to see that. I don't know. I'd be so distracted in the games. Like, oh my goodness, the pissed off one is coming at me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what is your current challenge these days? Yeah, my current challenge these days is um still is my my current challenge is is always the same too, which is not to get too much into playing chess, lest it break down my world, and then second, somehow still try to be sharp enough to compete with my father and draw and, and defeat him on occasion, which now you know is a little bit easier. Although sometimes in the games, neither of us really want to take that much risk because now we don't really want to lose, so. We end up having a lot of games that are more towards draws. And so we actually negotiate draws a lot more often these days than we used to. And also there's a little bit less fun in playing right now because we get to play online with so many people. And so I think that helps us too. Instead, what we'll do is we'll talk about the games we play with other people. And that makes it a lot of fun. I can imagine sometimes when you're playing with your father and it ends up in a draw, it's kind of like a reason like, oh, well, I got to go do the laundry. Oh, oh I, yeah. I, left, I left the yeah, chicken in the yeah. oven. You weren't cooking anything. I got to go put the chicken in the oven. Yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, you know, we, uh, you know, in chess, you know, you can kind of value be like, no, you're going to win this one. Um, but, 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 you know, when, when that happens, you know, people speak up, um, or they'll resign or something like that when they're like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I don't basically, it's like, I don't want to think too hard. I'm gonna have a cookie. You know, it's like that, that's where we are in life now. And that's a perfect place to be. Do you ever, let's say with your dad ever do some trash talking, but like very friendly, like playful, just, to get the energy in. Ah, you know, chess, I, um, this is a great question. You know, I think trash talking in chess is certainly okay. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll do it with people who are, um, on my competitive level and we're having some fun and it's known that we can do that talking out loud. Etiquette wise, it's usually frowned <laughs> upon. Rules wise in a tournament, absolutely cannot. You know, you can't even talk about your game when you finished it and you're walking away. You can't even like speak. You have to leave that room immediately because um, usually they're playing in a hall and not like an individual like the whole, you know, conference room or something like that. But you know what? I feel like to see my, my dad and I do that when we play sports, kind of do like the friendly tra trash talk. But it's, it's like it's not we're not going for each other's throats. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah usually, I mean, the trash talking in chess, I guess, comes from the blood, like the boldness of your attack. To me, that is the biggest trash talking you do is basically saying like, I don't even think you can handle this and I'm just showing it to you in your face. And so um, uh, that's usually where the trash talking happens. Um, it ends up just like happening right directly on the board by the way you construct um, your pieces and your your coordination. You know what? I, this sounds stupid again, but I feel like your dad, I don't know if he does this or not, but he would like try to get in your head, but not say anything, just making sounds like, mm hmm. 
It's just like, wait, wait, what? What, what was that? Total oh, nothing, dad moves. Nothing. That, those are dad moves. Those are dad moves. And there's a child, right, that rattles you hard. That rattles you hard as a child because um, that's what experience does to you. But these days, you know, it's a little bit different. But for sure, making faces, you know, and, you know, I mean, those those things are real, right? We're human beings. As much as we're analyzing things, we might we might raise our eyes up and look at the other opponent and they might have a look on their face. And you might think to yourself, oh, no, they've got me. What? You know? And so you might change your plan in that moment. And, you know, you might have less time on the clock and a lot of factors can change it. And so it's not like many things in life. It's not a vacuum and you don't have perfect conditions to make your decision. You know what? You're just making me want to play it now. See what you're doing. You're a good influence. Yeah, we'll play some chess. <laughs> yeah, we'll all play. We should all play with your with your friend. We can all play and talk. It'll be it'll be great. Oh, I'd love that. I'm definitely going to get you guys in contact after this and you'll make it happen. Awesome. But now back to you, because the focus is on you. Has playing chess ever stressed you out or just being a chess enthusiast, whether moves weren't going right or you're trying to gain more information on something and it just wasn't going the right way? Yeah. I mean, as a, these days, I manage my stress about chess a lot better than I, than I did when I was a kid because there are a lot of other things to worry about than playing a chess game because ultimately, right, it is a game, even though it's one I, I deeply enjoy uh, and cherish as a kid. Losing a game, I would have, I would have nightmares as a kid. I would have I would have nightmares on a kid losing a game because my understanding as a kid was you know it's a competitive game and if someone beats me they they're clearly smarter than me is 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 this is not a test score you know this is we played over the board we had all our cards shown and we had a competitive match you know with our brains and you outwitted and outclassed and so. For me, it was always that intellectual triumph was, I think, something that's always like driven me. You know, anytime you get beat, you're always like, oh, I got to get better. I got to get better. I got to get smarter. I got to focus more. Um, and I brought that to, to everything I do in life. And hopefully there's not that many chess pieces in real life with people's angry faces coming at you. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Unless this takes off now, people will be, we can, we can prepare the 3D printing template for everybody. Alex, that's what we'll do. You know, Everyone we're, we're starting our own business. Yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be pretty that's cool. Right, everybody. <laughs> everybody can chip in. You can be an early shareholder. It's going to be the the weirdest chess set you'll ever see. They'll probably list it as like 10 ugliest like holiday <laughs> gifts. And it'll be like sponsored by like Alex and Carlo. And it'll just be like our weird faces. Yeah. Imagine you just have your whole family there. <laughs> it's uh, like, that'd be, that'd be like, that could end relationships because who do you make the king and queen and who do you make the pawn? Exactly. <laughs> exactly exactly right and this is another tough question but very important to ask what are some misconceptions about people who play chess or are chess enthusiasts ah uh, yeah i think most of the misconceptions are probably right which are that you know chess people a little bit socially awkward you know bookish probably you know probably require corrective lenses as i do from like staring at pieces for so long in front of you and, and reading books on chess all the time. I think those, all those misconceptions are true. I think things that people might not understand is, is really the energy and the competitive nature and the toll on the brain. It is, it is like a serious, serious competition. And, you know, it's, it's like brain gladiator Olympic stuff. You know, it's, it's a serious level of mental aptitude um, and fortitude and calculation and uh, creativity as well. And there's a lot of beauty um, that goes on in the game for chess players watching how things develop and the way that positions are arrived to and conclusions are reached. So you're mentioning there's a lot of thought process when it comes to playing chess. And this might be a tough question to answer, but would you be able to tell me on average how many moves ahead 
are you able to think of? Ah, uh, yeah. You know, this is um, this is a great question that I think a lot of chess players get, and for me, and I, I think most top level people, I think they would say the same thing. Even the pros would say it. Is that you only really need to figure out how far in advance till you know you could solve that puzzle very easily again. So you want to be really, really efficient when you're going through your decision tree and you're prioritizing all the potential moves that you have and all the different trees that will happen from that. So you only have to go as deep as you as, as so far as you can solve it. And if you have sometimes you have to go very deep, you might have to go 10, 15 moves deep. Sometimes in those cases, though, the moves are very forced. And so it's actually easy to reach a high number because it's a very constrained environment about what, what the opponent can do. Other times, you can only really see two, three moves in advance because the game is so, you might be in the middle game. So there, there are sort of like phases in chess, right? There's the opening or the early game and there's the middle game where sort of like the chaos kind of happens and the chessing, if you will, is, is what happens. And then there's the end game, which is like technician land, you know, calculation to the nth degree because there are so few pieces on the board, you can calculate the possibilities much easier. So it really depends on the situation, but at the highest level, you know, you've got to be able to calculate a lot. I mean, I myself can, you know, easily do like 5, 10, 15, 20, depending on the situation. If you're playing me, you can probably do the entire match right from the get-go. One. <laughs> <laughs> Just one move is like, how is that physically possible? It's, it's against Alex. Anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you know, it depends on, you know, when you play people, there are, um, and you'll see this a lot with top pros who might play uh, a challenge, like a, a strong playing amateur. They don't want to run into a situation where the amateur is playing what we call in chess, like a, a novelty, basically someone that you just don't see all the time. And so usually like in general, players try to avoid those situations, but very, and not to say this is you, Alex, because I don't know your strength level, but <laughs> None. oftentimes like. <laughs> Players that are below, um, you know, that are early in the ratings, like below a thousand, um, you know, they might they might run into that kind of situation. So my strength leather, le leather, there you go. Even my speaking level is none. <laughs> so it's the same as my chest level. <laughs> <laughs> and another really interesting question I always enjoy asking is, what has chess taught you in life? You know, I've mentioned I mentioned a little bit, and chess has chess for sure for certain has taught about how to really care about what the other side is doing um, because it really informs your decision making. And so really caring about what the opponent's thinking and what their plan is. So the first process in chess is after a move is made is not what do I do, but is why did that person do what they did? And so that has taught me a lot of life to stop. And when someone says something, why did they say that to me? Why did they do that? Why did they act in this way? And so I try to first reverse engineer. And then I try to also, you know, through my own work, um, you know, thinking about from attacking perspective, then I can now think about what to do. Um, in life, one of the things I would teach folks in politics is that is that you always need two places that are vulnerable in order to to weaken a strength of something, say a candidate, for example. You always need two weaknesses because one weakness you can always defend. You could always paper it up. You could always say it's only one thing. It's only one thing. Everyone's got one thing. But when there are two things then you can start to argue that ah, potentially there is a trend, which means there are three. And it will show up sometime. Don't worry. You got to trust me. But now they're covering up the third one so you don't see it. But in chess, that's the thing that you've got to do. You've always got to exploit at least two weaknesses. Your opponent will always be able to defend one point. So you've usually got to create a kind of coordination with your pieces where they are multitasking and attacking at least two things at one time. 
And that's where a lot of the beauty of chess. And I, like I said, I bring that to, to how I think about things. But it's also, like I said, helped me a lot in decision making, not getting caught up in the decision I just made before and focusing on the decision that's in front of me because the, the decision's done. The moves were made. The results are here. Let's work on it now and, and, and not worry about relitigating it, but just try to solve it from where we are. And so I think that gave me, helps me in, in sort of believing in the process of decision making, of trial and error, which chess is really a lot about, and also just focusing on learning all the time. And that loss and failure is all about learning. And that chess every day was the best lesson for that, that all you do is learn, 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 learn by losing, 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 losing. And I think in life, it's the same thing. People are successful. There are, people point to a lot of things, but it's a lot easier to point to why, you know, you didn't, you weren't able to do something. Um, and so that's where you're able to build your foundation and just become a stronger person all around. You know what? Just is like a mini version of life in a sense. You have a bunch of people around you, you got to help each other out and you have to protect each other and just think of strategies to make it to the end. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can be very creative to do that. And people sometimes have the same role. Sometimes they have different roles. And, you know, ideally, this doesn't turn out. But of course, you know, chess is, is romanticized because, you know, everything starts from zero in chess and everything's very transparent. This is another thing I learned about life, too, and which, you know, chess doesn't allow. And that's the fact that everything isn't transparent in life. And in a vacuum, yes, you can make these decisions in chess, but you still got to understand when you go to life. That's where the wild card, wide wild card is. Um, you know, games like backgammon introduce those kind of, uh, of odds of life, I think, into the game of strategy very well. But if you really want to just hone the pure skill of strategy, chess is like the perfect strategy vacuum for that. And did you actually ever learn the history of chess? You know, I have read um, a number of books on history of chess. I've had some friends give me some good books, including um, the birth of the chess queen and and how that evolved and um, and the journey there. But a lot of that stuff is, is you know, in the cobweb memory banks of, of beyond, you know, beyond old times. You know what? As long as you know how to play it, you enjoy it. You, you take <laughs> what you want to take, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do you want to present this hobby to the world or use it more as an escape from reality? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wear it on my, on my sleeve proudly. I encourage people to pick it up. Um, I encourage uh, young people, children uh, to pick it up and their parents teach their children. I think it's a really great developmental game that also allows for the breaking down of prejudice, you know, uh, having prejudice in terms of your opponent. I think that's another humbling thing about chess is that it doesn't matter the age on the board. I've many times walked into a tournament room and there is a senior citizen playing a seven-year-old. And they're having a very, very great competition because they're equally matched. And there is pure respect and admiration in that game. And um, I think that's that's something that chess also tries to imbue. Um, and I think that people need to understand is, you know, you really got to respect your competition, your opponent, and do not underestimate anybody. Once you start underestimating people, you get taken advantage of, you... Um, you know, you, you lose your own advantages and you just don't get to act at the greatest sort of level that you can be. And yeah, exactly. Chess is a game for anybody from any walks of life. And once again, like you were saying, you don't even need to speak the same language. It does help to make communication, but body language works as well. Smile on your yeah. face or 
disappointment in a move you made. Hopefully, if you play That's me, right. then you'd just be smiling the whole time. I'll be the one confused. You're just a confused face uh, at all times. <laughs> drinking, uh, lifting up my coffee mug a bunch to cover up uh, my look every time you make a move and darting off with glances in the distance. You know, maybe what I'd do is I'd stare at spots on the board for you. So I'd be like, look over there. You got a little um, laser pointer beside you know, your eye pointing yeah. at the board. <laughs> you know, that's something that uh, when I was a kid, you know, um, adults would do to you. They do things like stare at the a certain part of the board for a long time and then make a move somewhere else. So, you know, you spend time like preparing for something. You'd be thinking of all the things and then the move would come and you'd be so surprised and you'd have to sort of recalculate all your analysis. But now I fall less for those tricks. <laughs> it's a lot of, of that reverse psychology aspect that just comes into play. Yeah, and it, 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 you know, it does, uh, especially when you play in person, it, it comes into play online. You know, you can't feel it. Um, so it does change the game. And I wonder if that's the case. I, I assume I'm not, um, you know, I play a little bit of poker, but I'm not a, a regular player. But I wonder if, you know, playing online, that's, that's one of the issues maybe with chess and poker. You miss a little bit of that in-person intimidation and persuasion and um, intimidate, uh, I might say that, but, you know, uh, try to influence the person outside of the chessing, but influence them with just your, you know, your, your persona. You know what you need? You need a webcam so you can see each other and also the eye tracker. So when it looks at yeah. your screen, you can see where that person's looking. <laughs> there you go. And then so, you, yeah, you have to really start disguising things. Uh, look, you know, look off in the distance, but really have something set up. Maybe, maybe Alex, I'd start setting up some mirrors around <laughs> me so I could casually look off to the side and and be like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's okay. Um, just to throw off the eye tracker. These sounds like interesting challenges that, <laughs> that yes, must be yes, tested. Absolutely, absolutely has to be tested. That, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? Yeah, you can get started with chess for free for five minutes right now by, you know, going online and looking up a beginning chess video about how to move some pieces around. And then I'd also encourage folks to... Maybe check out some of the uh, availability on chess.com, which I, I personally am I'm a user on that site um, and, and play on there. But there's a lot of just great, great chess videos on that site. There's, a, there's obviously also paid membership on there, so not everything's free. Um, but there is some stuff to get started on that as well as things on YouTube for people. But it's right there in front of you. It's a lot of fun. It's a great thing to do these times if you're home with your kids all the time. It's a great way to spend some quality time with them and hopefully get them lost in something that that they'll have some fun with and and learn a lot and it's a great thing to do while listening to your podcast as well yeah <laughs> you can also do that too i mean i talk about governing strategy and and economic and economics and strategy there and can play some chess and, and think about it that way too which is a great segue to my following question i've asked this question at the beginning of the episode but i'll ask it again at the end do you have any social media links websites or projects you're working on that you would love to share with the listeners? Yeah, please. I've taken my passion for chess and thinking about strategy and trying to apply it to how to make America better now, which is the name of the podcast I've got going. You can find it on all the places that Alex is probably on as well, Apple and Google and Spotify and all that good stuff. But it's focused as a daily podcast, as a manifesto project with a daily thought starter every day at the intersection of democracy and capitalism. If you're interested in things about how to how to look forward, how to look forward with ideas about how to make America better. And if you're in Canada, it sounds like you're paying attention too. We'll start sharing some ideas. Um, and you could share them with me on Twitter at Koala Monet, M-O-N-E-T, um, Koala Monet on Twitter, and then make America better now, the podcast everywhere that you love your podcasts. Perfect. I'll put that down below so people can go check it out and show you some love. 
Thank you. And now for the last question, the one I'm not prepared for, but always enjoy. Do you have any questions for me about playing chess? Yeah, Alex. So, you know, obviously you're familiar with the four move checkmate because you've made a reference to it here. And so I'm curious, do you still use the four move checkmate, um, you know, uh, on your wife or playing with your kids, perhaps, or other friends? I'm not going to lie. I just picked that number randomly. <laughs> very, very uh, good number to pick. I did not know that was an actual saying. Okay. Wow. So what is it? Okay. You got to tell me more about that. Why, where does that come from? The four move checkmate. Yeah. So you can actually beat somebody in four moves, right? Yeah, you can. It's not the fastest way, but it's the fastest way that kids be, or a beginning player would learn um, how you can meet your demise. But it's a way to show, and this is another thing about chess uh, that relates to life in terms of real estate. It shows you where weak parts are on the board and how if you don't defend those parts quickly, you can be overrun and lose quickly. And so the four move checkmate is usually what beginners start using to try to get the game of attacking down. But as a as a more mature player, um, you know, just beyond that level with any with any kind of uh, game experience, it's not going to be something that you're going to use. So it, it is truly dumb luck that I just came up with this title and it's it an actual- a very good title. <laughs> Alex, you were, you were just feeling the vibe already. You were channeling it already. It, it, was, it was luck, but it was also some destiny dusted in there as well. Hopefully if we do ever play, some of that dumb luck rubs off onto the board and then I could use it there. But you're probably within the first two moves, you're like, okay, nope, nope. Not going to work on me. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always got to see the opponent over the board, Alex. I'll, I'll not be duped by you so early uh, before we play. I'll make sure to wear some of those reflective uh, glasses so uh, you don't see my eyes panicking. Maybe like a whole like thing to cover. Maybe I'll just stand behind a two-way mirror so you don't see oh, me no, and just see creepy. my hands. <laughs> it'll be too creepy. <laughs> so there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Carlo, for coming on and just sharing love for chess and just inform me so much and it made me really want to play chess now even though i'm not great i still want to play it well hey you know you've got so much passion for for everything that you do and appreciate you highlighting hobbies for people all around the world i think it's a really important thing and you know i wish that you know you continue on your journey and your leadership in the podcasting community alex really appreciate it thank you very much and it's thanks to people like you that i get to do this and speaking about people like you you guys should go check out carlos podcast and websites i'll put all the i'll put all those links down below so it'll be very easy to find and follow and just show this man some love and if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you could send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast, you can leave a review. I accept reviews, good or bad. They help me grow. And if you want to show some more support, wow, so much support. Uh, these are completely optional, but I do sell merchandise on Redbubble and I also have a Patreon. Once again, optional. It won't stop me or encourage me. It was just, just there to support. I'll still make podcast episodes if you don't do it. It's all cool. I like to talk. That's, that's my thing. But you know what you do need to do? You got to go show Carlo some support. That you do have to do. So once again, thank you so much, Carlo. Alex, so much fun to be here with you and uh, to to learn a little bit about your hobby and also looking forward to playing some chess <laughs> online sometime soon with you and, and, and your friend. Get ready to win quick. That's, that's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> four moves and you're done, Alex. Yeah, four, four moves and you're done. <laughs> It's like, oh my goodness, we just discovered it. I can actually beat you in three moves. Like, yep, there you go. A new world record <laughs> said by me. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Carlo. <laughs> so until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>